Please turn with me to the Gospel of John and the 21st chapter. And we're continuing our study and reflection on the wonder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Does the resurrection of Christ mean something to you? Is it something personal? Has it changed your life? <clears throat> you know, we cannot overemphasize the importance of the resurrection. It is, truly is the foundation of our faith. And uh, as here in the 21st chapter of John, we have a very significant appearance of Christ to seven disciples who were frustrated and went out fishing, not knowing what else to do. But they said, well, let's just go fish. And when they were out fishing, the Lord appealed, or, uh, appeared and revealed himself to them. And uh, what encouragement we have from this incredible event as these disciples saw that Jesus really had risen from the dead and that he had a purpose for their lives. Beginning with verse 12 of John 21. Now picture this. They're out on the boat. They've been fishing all night. They're not catching anything. He calls out to them. And he tells them to cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And immediately they bring in just a large uh, number of fish. It says 153 fish is the actual number that's recorded in Scripture. And as they are overwhelmed with this incredible harvest of fish... Jesus calls out to them, verse 12, said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Yes, Lord, he said. <clears throat> Notice verse 15. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. What a meaningful event for these seven disciples as they were discouraged. As they didn't really know what to do. And uh, they encountered him out on that fishing trip in a very unexpected way. <clears throat> this is the third resurrection appearance of Christ. And uh, it's significant to note the times that Jesus appeared to his disciples. Let me go through the list of these important resurrection appearances. To Mary Magdalene in the garden after 
she went to try to find him in the tomb. To the other women at the tomb who came and bring spices to anoint his body. To Peter in Jerusalem. The two travelers on the road to Emmaus. And we looked at that passage last week. How on that walk Jesus appeared to them. The ten disciples who were behind closed doors. And he miraculously appeared to them. And then... All of those disciples, plus Thomas now, as he appeared a second time to this group of disciples. Here, this event of the seven disciples while they were fishing, recorded in John 21. The eleven disciples on the mountain, as recorded in Matthew 28, when he gave them the Great Commission. 1 Corinthians 15 records a crowd of 500 people. That saw the Lord. Also in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus' brother James had seen him. And then all of the disciples who watched Jesus as he ascended into heaven. How many of you sincerely believe that Jesus actually physically rose from the dead? There's no other explanation. There's no other explanation. There is no other explanation. event in history which has been more scrutinized and debated than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have more evidence today than ever that he really did. He really did conquer death and rise from the dead. Now, the world doesn't understand the meaning of this because Ultimately, our reason, our logic will only take us so far and then it's by faith that we step into relationship with God. It was interesting this last week. I saw an interview, Franklin Graham and uh, Christiana Amapur, and she was interviewing him and she made an interesting remark about Facebook and all of the social media and she said, Do you suppose that all this new technology will somehow be used in the second coming of Christ? Well, Franklin Graham said, you know, I really don't think that God is depending on man's technology to accomplish his ultimate purpose. (laughs) And therein is the conflict of the natural mind that does not understand the things of God. For if we are hoping to understand God, particularly the resurrection, only through natural explanations and scientific reasoning, we will fall short of the ultimate impact of this. Now, we find the disciples here after the crucifixion out on this ship, and they are very frustrated, very discouraged because of a great crisis in faith, a great crisis in integrity. As Jesus had promised, Jesus had promised that he was bringing them his kingdom and then he is killed. They promised Jesus that they would follow him and serve them the rest of their lives. And now they, especially Peter, denied him. And Peter was not the only one who denied him. There was denial in the hearts of the disciple. And so what a crisis. Have you ever been discouraged over a disappointment? Have you ever made a promise to God 
that you did not keep? Have you ever committed to a relationship and did not follow through on that relationship? We all know how that feels and the brokenness and the discouragement of that. And you know what? There are stronger disciples, stronger believers than you that have had a crisis in faith. I was reading again about Billy Graham and how as a a young man in college, he began to question the authority of Scripture and the resurrection of Christ. And before it was over, he found himself seriously doubting that there really could have been a physical resurrection. Went through a crisis of faith where he struggled And as he faced his own doubt and struggled with the issues of of his inability to really understand and believe, he thought, well, the answer is that I will continue to research and study and I will answer these questions for others. And as he probed more deeply into the questions, he realized that there was this matter of faith that he had neglected. And he realized that there were questions that could never be answered intellectually. And it's recorded that in a very personal and profound prayer, he made a commitment to God in faith to accept God's word and the reality of the resurrection, knowing that he could never ultimately himself prove or disprove it, but that he chose to believe And that was the beginning of his great journey of faith and his calling to ministry, which led to him to be one of the greatest evangelists of all time. So do you suppose if Billy Graham could doubt God, that God understands when you and I have our doubts from time to time? And how many of you have honestly had doubts from time to time? Most of us have gone through these dark periods in our faith where it's so difficult for us to believe. So we can relate to these disciples. But what happens to them is an incredible example, lesson for us in how God wants us to respond to Him through these difficult times of faith and the challenge. I want you to see how this develops. And there are really four stages here as they come out of discouragement and they come into the light of the resurrection and they truly are empowered to face their future. And so, let's follow these steps. And really, the change begins, I hear this, through the call that Jesus made out across the water to them, personally. He called out to them, and they heard His voice. Aren't you grateful that Jesus wasn't on the beach waiting for them to have a good discussion, and then take a vote on whether or not he rose from the dead. Now that's a humanistic solution, isn't it? Let's get everybody together and let's uh, come to some type of consensus and then vote and then we will decide. No, Jesus called out to them in compassion and they responded. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just, just... let you go with your doubt and your unbelief and your confusion and hope that you will eventually figure it out and come back. No, he calls out with compassion. 
And let me say that it's very important. Hear this. It's very important that whenever we hear his voice, and we will hear it, that we say yes and we respond. And there's something amazing about hearing the voice of God in our heart. It may be through a scripture, maybe through a song, maybe through an experience, maybe through one of our children, maybe something that happens circumstantially. You know that God's trying to get our, inti- our attention. And when we begin to listen, when we begin to reach out, it's faith begins to take hold of our hearts and it begins to grow. We try to judge ourselves by the lack of faith when in discouragement we have rejected the truth. God says, just respond. I'm calling out to you. Just say yes. Just reach out and see how faith will take care of your heart. And let me say, this is a mystery how this happens. But the incredible gift of faith that comes as we hear God's call. Now, here these disciples are out there on the, on the boat, and they've returned to something familiar, right? Fishing. They're fishing all night. Jesus had once before, when he called them first to be his disciples, showed them something about obedience and casting their net on the other side of the boat and bringing in the larger uh, load of fish. But this was an interruption in their circumstances, which is really by the love and the grace of God. And this call leads to, now hear this, it leads to an invitation for breakfast. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just like the Lord to want to share an intimate moment with them? To have breakfast with them? He wasn't just a ghost that mysteriously appeared on the shore and a voice that they almost heard, but he was physically there in a form that they could recognize. And he purposefully invited them to breakfast and he prepared their food and he shared it with them. And they realized this is Jesus. He has risen from the dead and he wants an intimate time with us. Hallelujah. It is something that Jesus didn't call them to come to a new intellectual conclusion. He didn't call them to commit themselves to some new set of rules or some new religion. No, he called them, hear this, to have an intimate experience with him. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that God calls us to relationship? Not to religion, but to relationship. Relationships are important. How many of you know that breakfast is important? My mom used to say that. And it's not just because of the food, but it's because of the relationship. You know, uh, my daughter always, growing up, always wanted to go eat breakfast with dad. And so we would have this special time. And uh, sometimes it's pancakes, but most of the time it's biscuits and gravy. Now, she doesn't eat pancakes or biscuits and gravy. She's a marathon runner, always in training. But whenever she's in town or wherever I have the opportunity to have breakfast, she said, Dad, can we go eat eat breakfast? And she wants me to find the place with the best biscuits and gravy or the best pancakes because of that special intimate time that we have together. And what is it about just sitting across the table and sharing and 
It's something that she and I have done that's, that's been special over the years. And I think about how God wants that special relationship with each of us. Let me just ask, ask it this way. When's the last time that you had breakfast with Jesus? <laughs> just a personal time with him. Didn't necessarily have to be early in the morning. Didn't have to involve food. But time when you knew that you had an intimate exchange with him. That he heard your heart. That he told you that he cared. That the value and meaning of your life was made clear. Well, we find out something about God's compassion and his love and his interest in each of his disciples through this breakfast experience. Now, second thing we see is out of that breakfast comes this, I don't know what to call it except a confrontation where Jesus actually looks at Peter who had denied him three times and everybody knew about it. And Peter's feeling terrible about it. And so Jesus confronts him to help him, to heal him, to restore his faith, to remove the cloud of guilt that's over his life. How many of you know that when we sin and fail God, that we need to be restored? It's not just a matter of confessing our sin and making a new promise to do better, but we need to be restored. And God knows how to restore us. He knows how to lovingly bring us out of the guilt and reestablish us in relationship with Him. And so this was the time to face up. And, uh, you know, this was the questioning. And it's almost like it goes beyond questioning. And, you know, the word we use today, interrogation, which is a serious questioning that leads to truth. And Jesus is saying, and the question is the same question he always asks, do you love me? Is there any more important question for us to answer than that? He didn't say, do you believe in me? Or do you agree with me? Or do you promise to do good from this point? He said, Peter, do you love me? Which is the basis of of the relationship, which is the first commandment, to love God with all that we are. You know what? It's love that's the beginning of the restoration, not guilt, not religion, not willpower to do better, but responding to His love. Isn't that always the question that God asks? Do you love me? Because that's all that really counts Because everything has to be based on that love. Through this confrontation, the disciples, particularly Peter, have to face up to this relationship with Christ. And the guilt is removed. And we see a transformation take place. As three times Peter denied, and three times now he confesses his love for the Lord. And how inadequate his love was. Because we see here in the language that first Jesus is saying, Do you love me? And the Greek word agape, which is a a godly love. Do you love me as I love you? And Peter says, Yes, yes. But really, he didn't have the conviction. It didn't resonate. And then Jesus says, Well, do you just 
even love me the third time as a friend, as you love your friends. And Peter felt like his love was not complete, was not enough. And he realized how much more he needed to love the Lord, how much more the Lord deserved his love. And so the denial was revealed and the new love took hold. And this leads us to the fourth stage of this relationship of the confession. As Peter was asked the question and he had to confess, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. There is a condition of, again, loving him first. Restoring our priorities and coming to a new place of intention in our relationship with God. We see as they went out on that ship how they really lost direction. What do we do? What are our priorities? And now Jesus says, if you love me and then what? Feed my sheep. What's the direction? That leads us to the fifth stage of this restoration and that is a new commitment. A new commitment. Peter had been a fisherman. Jesus is calling him now to be a shepherd of souls. Peter had lost direction. And now the Lord is calling him to be focused on the fulfillment of his kingdom. Peter had experienced this incredible roller coaster ride in his faith. And now Jesus is saying, trust me, I know how to finish the work that I've begun in you and use you for a greater purpose. As the Lord's dealing with uh, Peter and Peter is understanding, there's a, in verse 26, there's what seems to be... <clears throat> A bit of a, of a, excuse me, <clears throat> verse 22, we see that Jesus answered a distraction in Peter's life as Peter was, Jesus is dealing with him about how he will have to suffer and how there is a, really a prophecy here regarding Peter's future and how he will be himself crucified and Peter is distracted because he's thinking about one of the other's disciples and what's going to happen to the other disciple. And Jesus says to him, this is such a very important call to us. He says, what is that to you? Follow me. What is that to you? Follow me. And how ultimately Jesus in each of our lives says, this is about you and me. It's not about how you might compare yourselves to others. And so the commitment is about our obedience. <clears throat> well, there's five lessons here I want us to summarize. And then we're going to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. And I want us to come to this supper today. Why? Because we love Jesus. Is that a good enough reason? <laughs> Jesus is saying, do you love me? Then do this in remembrance of me. What are the lessons? Number one. We see in this incredible exchange of Jesus and these seven disciples, the transcendence of Christ. He was greater than even death. Second, we see the frailty of human nature 
as Peter and the other disciples fell short in their ability to commit and obey. We see the importance, the supremacy of love in our relationship with God, how God loves us, and He calls most of all for us to love Him. Fourth, we see the absolute condition of obedience. He says, if you love me, well then obey what I'm calling you to do. And then finally, we see this great, this call, the ultimate call on each of our lives, that is to reach souls for his kingdom, even as Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. I think, wow, do you love God today? Can you say yes? Can you say yes to God? (laughs) Do you hear his voice? Come for breakfast. (laughs) Do you hear his voice? Do you love me? Do you hear his voice? Feed my sheep. Do you hear his voice? You know, what is it that what others are doing? That does I'm interested in you and your response to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible event recorded in Scripture. We pray that you'd help us, even as we prepare our hearts for communion today, that we might receive that which you have prepared for us and offered to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me.